Good morning. <laughs> hey, happy first day of class. Woo! Has, has anybody gotten lost yet today? Oh, there we go. Just a couple. That's not bad. Make friends. Remember those relational risks that I said about. This is a good day to do that because you're like, hey, I don't know where the Fieldhouse classroom is. It's right up there. Okay. Oh, hey, um, a couple things that you guys need to know. Friday, remember Friday is academic convocation. That will happen in this room, but you all need to be in the back gym. Did you guys know there's a back gym? Okay, at, by 10 o'clock on Friday. So you, if you have a 9 o'clock class, you're going to need to book it down here and get down here because you guys are going to pr process in through the rest of the students on Friday. So Friday, 10 o'clock, uh, you'll see signs. Just come in the front like you did today, and, and we'll, we'll point you back to the back gym so you're set up. Remember that um, your assignments for this class have already begun. So be checking that regularly on your e-learning site so that you know what's due and that you're ready for, for class. Next week's class will be in, um, in your classroom. All right? So starting last year, well, you guys don't know this. This is Dr. Trapp's second year at, at Geneva. And when he came in, he said to me, he's like, I want to know our new students. And so we started brainstorming ways that we could do that. And one of the ways we're, we're going to do that is he's going to be with us uh, a number of times throughout this course. And, and we wanted to start today with him really giving you a good idea of the foundation of Geneva College. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to welcome Dr. Trapp up. Uh, and hey, put your phones away. That's just a, a, a courteous thing to do. And uh, let's bring him up. Thank you. Well, well, we'll get this right in a second. We'll get the sound right in a second. Good morning. It actually starts today. How many people had class already? Raise your hand. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's what happens when you're a freshman, right? You get into 8 o'clock. I, I visited a college this summer that has their first classes at 7.30. I'm ready to do stuff at 7.30, but I'm not sure I'm ready to teach class or go to class. So... Um, so I'm glad you're here. Hey, we have some important stuff to talk about today. Um, and, and one of the things that we're going to be talking about is the Bible at Geneva College. You are going to receive a Bible from Geneva College today. All the Bibles look like this. They look just like this one. So we have very carefully put your name on the inside of the Bible. So you'll have, your name will be here on the inside so you can tell them apart. And then on the back, I want you to notice that these Bibles were not something that came out of your tuition and fees, but friends and alumni, alumni of Geneva College, people who have been sitting in the past where you're sitting today, think that this is an important enough thing that they have supported your education at Geneva College by giving you a Bible like this. It's a small Bible. It has print in it that your eyes will do better with than my old eyes do. But um, we're going to be talking today about why it's important, why, what role the Bible plays in a Geneva College education. So our agenda today is I have two questions for you, and then we're going to talk about why we should study the Bible, and especially why we should study the things we study with the Bible. And then we're going to talk about who teaches us at Geneva College, who teaches the Bible. But before we start, I'd like for us to spend a moment in prayer together. Please pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, we're thankful for the day you have made, and thank you for making us in it. Thank you for giving us the health and strength that you've given Pray for these people, especially as they launch into their college career at Geneva, whether they're freshman students or first-year students who have come from other places. We're thankful for them. Ask that you will help us to understand better today 
your call on our life to know your word, to study your word, and to learn and live according to it. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So questions. Question number one. We're in class. You should have something to write with and something to write on. This is learning in transition. And your, your phone or your tablet is not good enough, or your laptop. Those are important tools, not good enough. You always have to have paper and pencil. Get something to write with, something to write on. And I want you to write down three things, titles of three books that have changed how you think and live. And don't put the Bible, okay? We're not in Sunday school or vacation Bible school. That's a good answer, and you get credit for it as a fourth answer. I want three other books that have changed how you think and how you live. How you think and how you live. How you think is not good enough. And diet books that change how you live are not good enough. I want a book that has both changed how you think and how you live. I want you to check your work with a neighbor. So at this point, you're actually allowed to look on your neighbor's paper. This is not a violation in this case. So I want you to look at what each other have written down, talk about it for a minute, wherever you are. Talk about the three books you identified. If you're having trouble, maybe your neighbor can help you. Okay, go to work. Okay, so Jeremiah and I were talking up here. How many of you had one on your list of three, a book that maybe helped you learn how to read for pleasure? Okay, very good, very good. Uh, you'll see Mrs. Trout is sitting over here. She, she reads for pleasure. She's a literature major. She's a mass, she has a master's in library science. Um, there have been times when I have read for pleasure. Currently, I read enough that my way of relaxing is not necessarily to snuggle up with a 750-page page-turner. But I have been known to read that kind of thing. Um, three books I'd like to tell you about briefly that have really impacted my life in a significant way. A book I've spent probably the most time with outside of the Bible is Augustine's Confessions. And Augustine's Confessions has, has really helped me think in important ways about what it means to be a Christian intellectual. The book that got me started thinking that way, and if you have not read this book, you need to read it, and you need to read it soon. It's called Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. When I read Mere Christianity, it wasn't just that book, but how it drove me into the Scriptures to understand who Christ is in terms of a Christian mind. And so at Geneva College, we don't just believe that Christianity deserves a place at the table intellectually. Christ is compelling. An understanding of who Christ is is compelling intellectually, and I learned that from C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity. I have a lot of competitors for the third book. Probably... Um, the Humiliation of the Word by Jacques Ellul would be the third book. 
I'll just give you an example. I read a chapter in that book when my children were pretty young and they were all involved in, like many of you been in sports and in music and that kind of thing. And, and the, literally the day after re I read the book, I never thought about running a video camera while my kid was playing sports or being in music again because I realized I would miss the actual thing that was happening. And that not very many people look at those videos and a lot of you hope that people don't post those videos of when you were a little kid on social media, for example. Um, so so that, that was a very specific change that happened to me. Okay, so books are important. You're at Geneva College. If you're in college and you feel like you're allergic to books, you need to talk to us about that, okay? We have some allergy medicine. We can help you to learn to love books. And if you want to have, if you don't want to be a slave, okay, wait a second. If you want to be a slave, tune me out, okay? If you, all, if you don't want to think for yourself and you just want to be told what to do, I'm not sure why you're in college, but if you don't want to be a slave, you have to read books, you have to read books, and you can't read them online. Slaves read books online and think they're really reading. Cognitively, your mind and heart can't learn the way you're able as a human being unless you read books. You don't need to read, read my approved books. Doesn't matter. But you gotta read. Read in your field. Read stuff I don't understand, okay? we got tons of you out there that are smarter than me and that are studying in areas I'll never know. That's great. Not my books, but read books. Second question, what are some of the reasons why the Bible is such a potent, powerful book? What are some of the reasons? I want you to talk to a neighbor about this. You don't need to write this one down. Talk in a group of four, maybe five people around you, turn around a little bit, maybe see who's around you. What are some of the reasons why the Bible is such a potent book? You hear me okay? Okay, I'm back here with the Back Row Bandits, who I, I love. I love the Back Row Bandits. We got people on the bleachers. We're gonna start with you. Give us one of your ideas. One of your ideas. Why is the Bible such a potent book? Go. Because it's God's Word. If we were playing Family Feud, I don't know what the survey would say about that, but okay. Because it's God's Word, over here, give us another one. This group over here, around there. Because it's inspired. What does inspired mean? Okay, it's in God's inspired word to us. We'll talk about that a little bit more later. How about back here? Center back. Give us, a, give us a, one of the reasons why God's word is so potent. What did you say? Pardon me? It's applicable. Okay, it's, it's powerful and potent because it's applicable. How about over here? Yeah. The stories about every type of people from engineers to 
Okay, there are stories about every kind of people from engineers, which is a major at Geneva, to prostitutes, which isn't a major at Geneva. Okay, so we, so we got all kinds of people in the Bible, and, and that's an important thing. It's an important thing that we're not alone, right? You can find, unfortunately, when it comes to certain things, like sinning against God, I find a lot of people I have things in common with. What about back over here? Are you pointing to someone back there, or do you have an idea? Go for it. Um, the fact that it's just a naming to everything, not the only naming, but the fact that Jesus means Christmas means forgiveness. Okay, the scriptures are meaningful, and they give meaning, deep meaning. It's not the only meaningful book in the world, otherwise we couldn't have three others, right? But it gives a deep and full meaning. How about in the center section over here, on this side? Go. So often real history, there's stuff, I don't know if you know this or not, but there have been people who were skeptics of the Bible who have set out, and historians or archaeologists, trained people, people with college degrees, that set out to prove that the Bible was not true. And instead, they found new historical information, and many of them actually became Christians in the process. Everything we thought wasn't true actually turns out to be true in a way. Just remember that, how many are, anyone in here political science major? Where are my poli-sci majors? Good. They're all, they're all over here. If you guys want to save your lives, you've got to spread out and diversify, right? Because if someone came in to try to take out poli-sci majors, we don't want to lose you all in one row. It's like, don't always fly on the same airplane. Okay, now, here's what I want you to think about. Think about your poli-sci major peers here. One of the things they will tell you is that political leaders do not attack things that are impotent. Political leaders tend not to attack things that are not threatening. Okay? This is why there are kittens on, in every political system you can find. They're beautiful little kittens because they're not threatening. Right? Politicians don't go after them. Political leaders, tyrants but they do go after the Bible. There are many places in which the Bible is illegal. If you travel to certain parts of the world, if you take a Bible with you, you have to be pretty careful about how you take it and who you give it to. Because the Bible is potent. Every place the Bible goes and is read seriously, it changes people's hearts and minds and actions. So my brother-in-law was an MK. How many missionary kids do we have in here? We got MKs? Okay, all right, good. So my brother-in-law was, was an MK, and one of his observations was that some missionaries would go into a country and they try to change people outwardly. But a lot of missionaries that he knew didn't worry about what kind of clothing people wore or, or other kinds of things. They would just preach the gospel and take the Bible in. And as people started reading the Bible, they would change things in ways that fit their culture, right? Not necessarily westernizing people or something, but they would change ways, their ways in ways that fit their culture. And that's how the scripture works, right? That's how it works. Now, I want you to... Uh, you probably don't have your Bible with me, with you, because you didn't get one yet, but you can take a little notes, and I'll read for us. I want you to look at what the Scripture says about its power. Hebrews 4, 12, and 13. This may be familiar to you. This may be the first time you've heard it in the Bible. You get it. will be on page 4, uh, set on 788. I told you it's small print. Let me find it. For the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him 
to whom we must give account. In chapel on Wednesday, we're going to read and listen to the Bible together, just like we just did. What you just heard is unlike any of our other three books or any of the books that we will read. This word is the only word we encounter that's fully alive. It's also the only word that works both from the outside in as we read it and hear it and also works from the inside out. We can't, as human beings, we can choose not to read the Bible, but it's already written on our hearts on the inside. And so there's a resonance when we read the Bible, a resonance that produces joy and responsiveness for Christian people who are reading the Bible, and that produces some difficulty and distress if we're not. But it's alive. It's not alive. It doesn't become the Word of God sometimes. It's always living and active from all eternity. This is what the Scripture says about itself. One of the things. It's powerful and potent. And it's not potent just on the outside. Divides soul and spirit. Go to a philosophy class with Dr. Fraser or Dr. Meek and start to try to decide that what's the difference between soul and spirit? Boy, am I glad I'm not a philosopher or theologian. I don't have to answer that question. Let's talk about communication. When those questions come up, let's talk about communication. The difference between soul and spirit, that'll make your brain hurt. But the Bible understands it. Okay, so then we get to the question, so the Bible's powerful, but why should people like us, why should people like us Read it, study it, and learn from our own copy. Because we're giving you your own copy of the Bible. If you, pro you might have five copies already. You don't, might not have a copy that's your own. So uh, I want to give you a little bit of an idea as to why this might be. So we're going to look at Deuteronomy. And we're going to look at De Deuteronomy 17, 18 to 20. And if you have this Bible, it's on page 125, so you can make a note of it. Now, this passage is talking about the kings of Israel. So Moses is giving directions for how to be a good king in Israel. This is God's word to future kings in Israel. So this is written before David, who might be the most famous king, or Solomon, very famous king in Israel. It was written to tell these people how to be a good king from Moses. Verse, uh, uh, chapter 17, verses 18 to 20. And when he sits on the throne of his kingdom, he shall write for himself in a book a copy of this law approved by the Levitical priests, and it shall be with him, and he shall read it in all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God by keeping all the words of this law and these statutes and doing them, that his heart may not be lifted up above his brothers, and that he may not turn aside from the commandment either to the right hand or to the left, so that he may continue long in his kingdom, he and his children in Israel. We need our own copy of the Bible. Why do we need our own copy of the Bible? We need our own copy of the Bible because it helps us remember who we are. Not only who we are for our own selves, but it helps us remember who we are in relationship to God and who we are in relationship to other people. The danger of becoming an educated person which you are in the process of becoming, is intellectual pride. It's a temptation for people who have a PhD every day. 
It's a temptation for people who have a master's degree. And it's a temptation for people who earn a bachelor's degree. You're going to study and know stuff that other people don't know. You read the Bible every day because as you move into roles in leadership, here and elsewhere, you need to maintain a humble heart. And reading the Bible regularly helps to keep us in the right place. It helps to keep us in the right place. I want you to know that when this command came, most kings were illiterate. Most kings didn't write. They could pay a slave to write. But God said to the king of Israel, you need to learn to read and write for yourself. And then the first thing you need to do is go to the priests, get an approved copy of the Bible of that time, and write it out longhand. Now I'm restraining myself, and I'm not going to direct the faculty to make you write out your own copy of the whole Bible. I think about it from time to time, <laughs> but if I directed the faculty to have you do that, I'd have to do it. <laughs> and that's a hard thing. You know, for David to write out the five, the five books of the law was a lot easier job than to write out the whole of the Bible that God has given to us, so we're not going to do that. We're, instead, we're just going to give you a Bible and say, read it, read it, study it, learn it, keep your heart in the right place. So I want you to know that as a college, the college you have decided to attend, we affirm that the Bible is the inerrant, infallible, holy word of God without error, perfect. The law of God, the word of God is perfect. And if you have an intellectual bone or brain in your body, you ought to ask, okay, Trout, can you prove this? Can you prove that the Bible doesn't have any errors? Okay, you want to go with me there? Let's go. We're grown-ups here. If you insist that there's one little meaning to prove, whatever I think prove means, and that's what prove means, welcome to college. We're not going to play that game. Prove means multiple things in English, and then you go into some other language that other people understand that we don't. And it means even more things. So let's talk about two of the common definition of, definitions of prove, especially the kind that are used in the scriptures. And prove sub one means can it be tested? Can it be tried? And the answer to that is unequivocally yes. When the Bible says, and we'll see that the Bible says that every word of God proves true, it means there's not any part of God's word that you can't look right in the eye and test it and say, is this true? Is this true for me? And the answer is yes, 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 yes. Every place we test it and try it, the word of God proves true. Proof sub two. Can we demonstrate it as in math? Now, many of you have already heard me say I don't do math. I don't do math. I do arithmetic. Right? And some of you know the difference, right? So I believe that differential equations exist and that a person could do one. I believe that the theory of partitions helps us understand black holes. I believe that there are things called algorithms and logarithms that run in, in computer programs that are fundamentally mathematical kinds of things that are quantifiable. I don't know what they, how they work. I don't want to. I want you to. You do that kind of work. I do a different kind of work. But demonstration is mathematical, and no, we can't prove mathematically. We can't prove according to a scientific definition, demonstration that the Bible is true. But we can't prove that you're true and probably can't even prove that you exist mathematically. There are a lot of things that are true in the world that can't be demonstrated, but can be tested. 
One example of this, of the Bible talking about this, is in 2 Samuel 2.31, and it's also in Psalm 18.30. Same language. This God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. He is a shield for all those who take refuge in him. The scripture says it's provable, not in the number two sense, but in the most important sense, in the testing sense, that it withstands scrutiny. And so the foundational concepts of Christian education, we're celebrating the 50th anniversary of that at Geneva College, helps us understand our belief in the Bible as God's true and abiding word. And what it says is, it says, we make all kinds of judgments, right? We make all kinds of judgments. You have to make judgments about what to eat today in the cafeteria. What line are you going to go through? You're going to wait in the long line, you're going to do what I do, kind of skip around, get something else, do something quick. I don't know. That's a judgment, but not a very important one. Ultimate judgments, the foundational concept says, must finally be made in the light of God's word, the Holy Scripture, which is the only adequate and inerrant standard of truth. As you study things, you're going to find more and more standards for truth, good standards for truth in your fields of study, in the core. They're all, people are very concerned about truth, and you want people to be truthful with you. But the ultimate standard is the Scripture. And so we're going to go a little deeper into this question of the truthfulness of Scripture. People like us, you're a pretty smart person, right? Yes? Say, yeah, I'm pretty smart. Right? Pretty smart people, okay? We, we might not be magnificent, but we're pretty smart. We're okay, people like us. We act reasonably on good testimony. Now, not, now is not the time to say, I've done some illogical things. We all do. But when things matter to us, we, we believe that we act reasonably, and we tend to act reasonably, um, and, and we want to do it on the basis of good testimony. An awful lot of what you do, you decide to do because of good words that you've heard from other people. And... Uh, how many of you are in Dr. Cole's section, L&T? Dr. Cole's section over here? Okay, good. So you're working with a historian. And a good historian will tell you that most of what we know in history has come to us through testimony, through other people who wrote something down or told someone else to write it down. An awful lot of the scripture that we have is based on eyewitness testimony of things that actually happened historically. So what does the Bible say about itself? Well, in simple terms, the Bible says that it was given to us. It was given to us by God. The Bible is a thing that's given or revealed, something that God revealed to us. It's not a social construct. It's not something that a bunch of people got together and said, hey, let's make up this religion. Right? In fact, Christianity is kind of a strange faith. It's not what you would make up if you were asked. There's all kinds of stuff in Christianity that you just wouldn't make up. That truth is often stranger than what we would come up, come up with on our own. So it's given, and then it's received. The Word of God is designed for us to receive it, not to stand over it in judgment, but to stand under it, to listen and receive it and respond to it. So, one of the uh, most common places in the Bible that we like to go to talk about this is 2 Timothy 3, 14 to 17. It's on page 783 since you're taking notes. Write down page 783, you'll be able to find it quickly. Verses 14 to 17. But as for you, it's talking to Timothy, this is Paul talking to Timothy. But as for you, Timothy, 
Continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. Let's stop there for just a second. 16 is kind of the major verse, but let's stop there for a second. Timothy had been trained and he had believed and received God's word first from his grandmother and his mother. You have grandmothers and mothers. Many of them have taught you as Timothy was taught from the Bible. So the apostle is saying, you heard this, you believed it, you received it, you were taught it. Think about who you're learning from. And while you're here at Geneva College, I want you to get to know the people you're learning from. The people you're learning from are trustworthy and true people. The people you're learning from, they know their stuff academically. And they know Jesus. And they will teach you more than you want to know about your field of study. I I make a common offer. If you feel like you're not being challenged by your professors, I always have books that I'd be glad for you to read with me. I will give you books. So if if your professors are going easy on you in a semester, come see me at, at, uh, at lunch at Alex's, and I'll get you a book real quick. I'll try to get you one that'll make your head spin, okay? One that'll really challenge you to think, okay? And if you want one of those on top of what you're doing, I'll give you one today. I'll find one for you, okay? But they can't ever tell you enough about Jesus. It's inexhaustible. And all of it matters. Okay, verse 16. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Okay? Man of God is gender neutral, so ladies, don't think you're getting off easy on this one. Man of God is gender neutral in the scripture at this point. But when we said it's potent because it's inspired, inspired means it's God-breathed. It's breathed out. And in the scripture, when it says breathed out, it wasn't like... (sighs) Inspired means God was speaking. If I take away your breath, you are dead and you cannot speak. The breath of life is the breath that is spoken into us and that enables us to speak out. Very important, basic principle. The scripture says it's alive. The scripture says it's true. The scripture says it's useful for teaching and learning and growing for all of us. We'll get to those other passages another time. I want to make sure that we get to cover a couple of other issues here. So what role does the Bible play in a Geneva education? What role does the Bible play in a Geneva education? Well, back to the foundational concepts. It says, this view of education, the Geneva College view, the Geneva College view of education rests upon the historic Christian faith contained in the scriptures symbolized by the open Bible on the seal of the college. Okay? It's based on the historical Christian faith contained in the Scriptures. We study everything. But the basis of our study is the Scriptures. This book, the Bible, 
is the primary textbook. We don't put it on every syllabus except for the, a couple Bible classes. It's on the syllabus, but it's always there. We're giving you a Bible because we want you to take it to class. We want you to ask questions from the Bible. We want professors to be able to say, look at these passages, look at this story, look at this verse, it matters. You know the Bible says that there's a fixed order to the universe and we keep finding out. Right? Ask Dr. Cross. Is Dr. Cross in here? Physics professor. Ask Dr. Cross. He has books on his shelf about chaos theory. Have you ever heard of chaos theory? It's one of those mathematical things I don't understand. Okay? But this, I have read a little bit about it, and here's something about chaos theory. People who study physics, quantum physics, quantum chemists, they first discovered that the world was much more chaotic than Newtonian physics thought it was. That things are going crazy in the universe if you look at it mathematically. And then they started to discover that there was an orderliness to the chaos. We keep discovering this order in the universe. Surprise, surprise. The scripture says that the whole of creation is ordered in a way that we can't touch. So how do we learn? We learn for Christ and country, under Christ and his word. Okay, this is a point in class today where if you don't learn anything else, this is the kind of thing that can save your life. Okay? Not because I came up with it, because I didn't come up with it. This has, I, I just happened upon this with the rest of Christianity. This is not unique to Dr. Traup, okay? So don't say Dr. Traup said about this. This is much more important than that, okay? Hebrews 1, 1 to 4, under Christ and his word. I don't know if you noticed when we read Hebrews 4, that it shifted from talking about God's word being living and active to talking about him. <laughs> talking about him discerning the thoughts of our hearts. Uh, if you have this Bible, it's 787. Keep rubbing that in because I want you to find these things and meditate on them. Hebrews 1, 1 to 4. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. There are certain passages in the Bible that are worth memorizing. I memorized this one in King James when I was a little kid, so I get all mixed up. But this is one, if you're thinking, what would I want to memorize in the Bible? Hebrews 1, 1 to 4 is a great passage to memorize because it tells us so much about Jesus Christ in one place. He's the Son of God. He's the exact imprint of God's nature. If you know Jesus, you know God. He purified us from our sins. He didn't die on the cross to give us an example. Yeah, it's an example, but he died on the cross to pay for my sins and to pay for yours so we could be purified, so we can live a righteous life in Jesus that we can't live on our own. That's why Jesus had to come. After he came, 
God tells us, I've revealed myself in Jesus. I've revealed all there is to reveal about me is revealed in Christ. And Christ is upholding everything. Where are my engineers? Raise them high. Get those paws up there. Okay, good. Now, engineers believe that stuff is really there, okay? It's a great thing about engineers. Engineers look at the wall, and the philosophers look at the wall, and they say, I don't know whether the wall's really there. And the engineer said, I'm out of this conversation. (laughs) These people are whacked. (laughs) The wall's there. (laughs) We got to figure out what the tolerances are, right? In Houston, was this, that you'll see the engineering in Houston that was designed for a 200-year event. The stuff that was designed for a 100-year event is going down the river right now, right? Engineers know that kind of stuff. I have friends who are engineers, they taught me that. I had no idea what a 200-year event was. That's something that lasts through an atomic bomb, right? You build something for a 200-year event, it's going to be around. But what the scripture says is, The wall is really there, okay, engineers, you're okay. But it's only really there because the word of Christ is upholding it and he has created a fixed order to the universe so we can do math about the wall really being there and we can figure out the difference between a 100-year event and a 200-year event and how we build the bridge so it doesn't go down when there's a flood. So Hebrews 1, 1 to 4 helps us begin to understand that when John 1.1 says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, that there's this massive reality and truth that's also a mystery to us. We don't have enough brain power to understand how God's Word is completely His Word and is also Christ Himself. But what I want you to understand is that Christ and His Word are one This is a very important truth of Scripture that's revealed to us in John 5, 37 to 40. 698 for those of us who are looking that way. Those page numbers really help me. Small print and everything. Okay. Now Jesus, in this passage, is talking to people about people who say they love the Bible. They say... They love the Bible. And this is what he says. John 5, 37 to 40. And the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard, his form you have never seen, and you do not have his work abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom he has sent. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me, yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. Now here's what I want you to know. This is how we understand the scriptures at Geneva College. There's, this is not a magic book. This is not a magic book that we venerate We treat it with respect. You won't see me throw a Bible, but it's not because something bad's going to happen to someone because they dropped the Bible. If your Bible gets lost in a flood, if your Bible, if somebody disregards your Bible, it's not magic. Because the connection is between Christ and the Word. He says, You're only looking at the scriptures and you think the scriptures are the ones that do the work and you're missing me. Christ said, you're not connecting to me. The whole world, the life of the whole world turns on the person of Jesus Christ and his work. It's all about Jesus. And his word is completely true because he's true. He's not confused about what he tells us. He doesn't misunderstand the historical moment in which we live in. He gets us. He knows what we need. And he's supplied everything that we need. Jesus Christ is the truth, the way, the truth, and the life. 
And He's given us His Word from all eternity. And it's always true and it's completely true. Not because we've done research on the text, but because it's been given to us by Christ, in Christ, with Christ. Always together. Always Jesus, the person, and God's Word as it's given to us in the Scriptures, as it's preached to us from the pulpit, as it's heard by us, as it's read to us, as we sing it, as it's sung to us. This is how it fits together. And so we want to be wholehearted and full-minded as we approach the Bible. The Westminster Confession of Faith with Augustine and a whole bunch of other people say, the most important things we need to understand from the Bible about who God is, who we are, what sin is, how creation came to be, those are all simple. There are many things in the Bible that are more difficult, but the things we need to know the most are clear to us, and then we have to study the other stuff. If I'll ask you a question like this, what is time? What is time? There's a verse in the Bible that says, with God, a thousand days is like a year, and a year is like, uh, a thousand years is like a day, and a day is like a thousand years. Go figure that out. You just go figure that out for me, okay? You go figure it out, because my brain's been hurting about that for decades, okay? But what I want you to understand is that at Geneva, we have one teacher and Lord. I'm not going to read the passages, but you can see them here. Matthew 23, 1 to 12, John 13, 3 to 17. He is our teacher. He's the only person at Geneva College, the only professor that can teach you from the inside out as well as from the outside in. We have one teacher and Lord. He is Jesus Christ. I encourage you and challenge you to read the Bible as much at Geneva College as the other things that you're made to read. When I went to graduate school, I made a commitment. I should have done it when I was your age. I thought, I'm reading so much stuff. I'm spending so much time reading. I need to make sure that I'm reading God's Word in the same kind of amount or more so that I never get overtaken by the world's arguments or the world's thinking. So I'm going to dismiss you with God's blessing to go out of here, get your Bible, read your Bible, study it, use it, and become a Geneva College student in the process. Thanks for your attention today. We'll see you in a few more weeks. Hey guys, just hold on one second. Um, if you have a class at 11.15, how about we dismiss those people first to go get their Bibles so that they can get out there. They're, they're in your L&T group numbers that you've been in this past week, and um, we're taking attendance based on Bibles, so make sure you grab it.